Eli Simmer was feeling pain near her shoulder blade during the fall of her freshman year in high school in 2020 as she was playing on the volleyball team. After seeing many doctors, it still took until May 12th of 2021 to diagnose her with Ewing sarcoma. On today's podcast, Eli will talk about the difficult time that she had both physically and emotionally during the rest of 2021 until her treatment thankfully ended in January of 2022. Eli will talk about how she's doing now and her Eli Sunflowers nonprofit that she started to help teenage cancer patients who are going through their individual treatment protocols. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Eli Simmer was a 14-year-old ninth-grade student who played the guitar, was an accomplished volleyball player, and had danced for 10 years. But by the time of her sophomore year in high school, her health and life had changed dramatically. And it is now my pleasure to introduce Eli to my audience and welcome her to my podcast. Thank you very much for joining me. It's great to have you here. Hi, thank you for having me. Now, as we start our podcast... We'll look back to the fall of 2020 when you were competing on your volleyball team and began to experience serious pain near your shoulder blade. During that time, you went to see your physician, a chiropractor, a physical therapist, and a manual therapist. What was the conclusion that these medical people came up with at the time? Uh, at the time, they uh, thought that it was my, uh, a nerve was getting pinched off by my rotator cuff. And eventually, after going through um, manual therapy, chiropractic, and physical therapy for about four months, and I was going around three, um, four times a week, um, after like four months, that's when they finally were like, okay, why don't you try uh, trying out for uh, spring volleyball travel and I was like, okay, sounds good. So then I traveled or I tried out for it and they, um, I made the team, but I was still having a lot of discomfort in my shoulder. So then, uh, my mom suggested actually that like, why is it still causing pain after all this time, all this money we've put into, um, her shoulder and trying to figure out what's going on in all these, uh, plans how come there isn't any change? So she asked them to do an MRI and that's when they found uh, my tumor. And they originally told me, they first told me when they saw my MRI results that my bone looked like popcorn in that area. And then they referred to me get a CT scan. So then I um, got a CT scan and they then said that my bone looked like a termite infested piece of wood. <laughs> well, yeah. that, that, that that's certainly a a, a very encouraging uh, way to uh, to to hear about uh, how it looked. I just want to go back to, to one question I had after the um, the treatment that you went the three or four months uh, w- w- when you saw all these uh, specialists. When they told you that you could that you were cleared to go out and try for the, uh, try to make the travel volleyball team, how did your shoulder feel at that time? And were you confident that uh, this was a good move for you? I felt like it was a pretty good move at the time. Like I, of course, still had some like 
discomfort in my shoulder, but they said that was just natural. And they said that um, uh, I had like 70% of my strength back. So they told me that like, oh yeah, go right ahead, like travel, uh, like try for um, spring travel volleyball. And so I did. And after the, my tryouts and everything, I made the team, but it was just that still there was so much pain and discomfort. So from there, that that's when my mom scheduled the MRI. Now the situation, uh, of course, it started in the fall, and we're now uh, past, uh, you know, well into the uh, into spring and March, and it wasn't getting any better. And of course, your mom did the right thing uh, by sending you where she sent you. Was the thought of the word cancer one that ever crossed your mind during this period? Or, I mean, or did it just seem to be a, a simple sports injury that hadn't healed as well as it should have? It was crazy because uh, after I got my MRI results and my specialist told me that my bone looked like popcorn and that there was a mass there, I immediately I'm like, oh my gosh, do I have cancer? Like, is it cancerous and everything? I started freaking out. I started crying. And he says, well, we can't say that for sure, but it is a mass. So that's when they scheduled the CT scan and everything. They said that it had uh, characteristics of Ewing's though, but the placement was just not where Ewing's usually is. So they thought it was going to be benign. And that's when I had my biopsy done and it turned out that I had cancer. Had you ever heard of Ewing sarcoma before this or any other pediatric cancer? And how long was it before they told you or between the time that they told you they thought it was benign until it was actually proven to be uh, cancerous? So before I got my biopsy, they were saying that like before like my CT or when I got my CT scan, they said it had characteristics of Ewing's though, but because of the placement, they said that it like it's probably benign and everything. And even when I got my biopsy done, even the person that did my biopsy was like, it seems like it would like it's going to be benign, like wink, wink, shove, shove. And it was just a total kind of slap in the face, I guess, when it just came back news because it was just like, oh, my gosh, like all of my worst fears and like just came to life and everything. And like you don't really expect that to happen. You don't really realize how common it is until it's you who's that going through that. Well, it's always the the uh, other person who's going to uh, have a cancer issue, not you. And um, unfortunately, you were the one uh, that, that that had to hear this news. And as most teenagers were spending that summer on vacation, enjoying themselves, among other things, and they may, may have also been working, you spent the summer, which was between your freshman and sophomore year at the University of Michigan, undergoing an intense treatment protocol can you talk about what you were forced to endure uh, during your treatment? Yeah. So I received a lot of like toxic uh, chemicals, obviously chemotherapy. And one of the uh, drug, like uh, chemos that I would get was doxorubicin, which is also called the red devil. And it's known to be called the red devil because of its uh, red Kool-Aid type color and how sick it would make you. And for me, I would have it for my two-day treatments and only a short amount of time because of how strong and how toxic it was for my body. And every single time I would end up in the emergency room afterwards, like not even 24 hours after receiving my last dose because of um, a fever and everything. And when you 
have a fever over 100.4, that's when you have to be admitted to the hospital and like go to the emergency room to get put on right on antibiotics. Otherwise, you could become neutropenic. Now, I want to ask you about the treatment that you received at the University of Michigan uh, with the doctors and the other caregivers and people that you work with. Were they as good as possible to you? And was your experience, even though obviously you were so sick at the time, one that you look back now and say, gee, these people were wonderful to me? Yes, I do. My whole team at U of M was just so amazing. Like I had such a close connection with my nurses that like every time I'd see their name on the board that they were going to be taking care of me that night, I would just be so excited. And I had one nurse named Haley that we would have gossip hour and everything. So she'd come in my room for like an hour and she would just, we would just talk about each other, like our lives and everything and just catch up basically. And like, it's those uh, times that I had in the hospital with like them and like my time, I don't know, getting to know them and everything like that's what helped the process a lot, become a lot easier for me to get through like everything. And and, and what about the support that I'm sure that you had from your mom and the rest of your family? Can you talk about that? Yeah. Uh, I have no idea what I have done without my parents, honestly, throughout this. They have been there since day one, obviously. And they, um, I don't know, they took me to every one of my treatments, every one of my scans. They took me to every blood draw, um, infusion, like just everything. And I honestly don't want to have done without them because they've put in so much time into me and taking me to these things to save my life. Like I'm forever grateful to my parents. Well, I'm sure they're great parents, obviously. And one thing that, now I know that your mom's sitting near there, and I bet she's going to nod her head when I say this, because I've had a lot of, um, fortunately, podcasts with parents. When I say fortunately, I wish there wasn't any pediatric cancer. But, but invariably, the parents say that the kids, that their children, that the, the pediatric cancer patients that uh, that are their children, are the ones that have taught them how to be able to get through this time period and so many lessons that they learn from you. And I'm guessing that might be the same situation with your parents. Yeah. She's shaking her head. Yeah. <laughs> it was uh, When I was going through treatment, it was hard right when I first found out because they were the first ones to know my like results and everything and then first know about it. And my parents have told me this and everything like seeing me and it was on a Wednesday, May 12th on a Wednesday, right after school, I walk out waiting for my parents to pick me up and they're both in the car waiting to pick me up. And when I got in the car, I thought it was weird because they both had sunglasses on and they were very quiet. You know, we all love talking. So like, I was surprised of how quiet the car was once I got in and I asked them and I was like, how was your guys' day? And they, responded like very short you know like oh it's a nice day that's the one plus and like so like I kind of thought it was a little weird and like something I just knew was like off and I kept trying to talk and everything and then I was like oh I wonder if my scans came back so then I asked them they're like we'll talk about when we get home and that's when I knew that something was wrong immediately and that there was something going on 
And I remember getting home and U of M calling and my mom, she doesn't even get through the driveway all the way. She gets out of the car and she like takes the call and stuff. I'm trying to figure out what, what the heck's going on. And my dad's trying to get me out of the car, but I'm refusing to even get out of the car because of like me trying to process what they are, but not telling me at the same time. And uh, I remember my dad coming around to my seat and trying to unbuckle me and everything like that. And I'm crying and I'm like saying like, no, I'm trying to push him away. I'm like, no, no, like, tell me, do I have cancer? And all I can see is my dad's tears rolling down past his sunglasses and everything. And like, that's when I knew that I had cancer. And after you get told those words, literally nothing in your life is the same. Even being two years out of treatment and all, that's hearing those words have changed my life for good. There's no going back. Uh, th- th- there's no doubt about that. And we'll probably talk about that a little bit later in the podcast. Now, as your sophomore year began, you were spending your first day undergoing the first of your 31 days of proton radiation. And you spent the rest of the 2021 calendar year, as you describe it, losing your hair, your identity, and your friends. Before I ask you about your identity and your hair, I need to ask you about the very disturbing news that you were losing your friends. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So it's during treatment, I really found out who my support system was and who my true friends were and who were going to stick by me while I was going through this hard time. And I had a whole friend group at the time at school and everything. And uh, I remember when they first found out they were super supportive and I'll even my best friend at the time. But I, um, as I shortly got more into treatment, everything they eventually started to uh, not be able to handle it and uh my best friend even started spreading rumors about me and all and it was just very it was very hard because she was the one person that like I went to about stuff other than my parents about how like I was feeling in that moment with everything and like it was hard because my those people also uh, were really upset how much I was always talking about it but when you're going through that, you like it's kind of hard to figure out anything else to talk about because you're stuck at the hospital all the time. You're not really doing much, <laughs> you know. And it was just really hard for me to wrap that around my head after they said all these great things and that they were going to be there for me, and I've always been there for them. But they ended up leaving instead, and and it was hard too because like the friends that like I did still have and everything it it tore me apart that I couldn't be there for them 24 seven, like I would before because I was always a person. Well, I don't know if you saw my facial reaction when you mentioned that um, your, your uh, best friend had been spreading things about you, but it wasn't, it wasn't my most pleasant look. It, it's very distressing to hear that. I've heard this before uh, on many podcasts with teenage girls and boys who have have had issues even with bullying and stuff like that after a, a cancer battle. It's just so unfortunate. Um, now, your identity was not of someone who was undergoing a cancer battle. So how difficult was it to you for you to accept this reality? And was that really uh, when you say my, rea- my uh, identity was lost? 
So when I first was diagnosed, um, right after I found out, me and my parents, we talked about it that same day. And uh, I kind of freaked them out a little bit because all of a sudden, like after we started crying about it for like, I want to say maybe like 30 minutes, um, all of a sudden I start getting up, I'm smiling, I'm dancing around and everything. And they were like, why is she smiling? Why is she dancing? And I'm, and I'm just saying like, it's not going to take me. It's not going to take my hair without a fight. Like, I'm just like, like, I'm going to be okay and stuff because like, like it really hurts seeing them crying and all about something that I was going through and everything. And like, I couldn't like reassure them and they couldn't even reassure me and stuff. So like, I had to like, I felt like if I was going to stay strong for myself, like I also had to stay strong for them and everything. So like immediately I had to like change like my perception on like this news and everything and try to make it more positive and everything. And that's what really helped me get through it. But um, when I lost my hair, that was, that was one thing that made me really lose my identity was because uh, when I lost my hair, I was pretty at, fast pace and everything so I obviously went pretty quick <laughs> and all and um I uh I remember then I actually shaved my I put my best friend at fa on FaceTime while I was in the hospital and I remember going in the bathroom shaving my head off and I didn't let my parents see until like the night before we left and all even my nurses and all because I was so like scared about my hair and not having it anymore and like it's so terrifying after when you don't have hair, like you have hair and I had long curly brown hair. And then all of a sudden, one second, it's all gone, you know, and you're just staring at this person blankly every single morning that you don't even recognize. It's, it's terrifying because you don't even know who's staring right back at you. You know, it's you, but you can't tell it's you because you look so different than you did before. Certainly losing your hair is unfortunately one of the standard things that happens to most, if not all, uh, pediatric cancer patients. How long did it take you to accept that fact and begin to say, uh, well, I'm going to be okay. My head is going to be okay. Uh, and and, uh, and life will, will, will go on with or without my hair. It's so losing my hair, I definitely said to myself like it sucks that I lost my hair but at least I'm here like you know like just as long as I'm here like that's okay if losing my hair is the worst thing that happens to me so be it and um but no like being okay with it it doesn't just happen and then you're just okay with throughout it it's like back and forth it's you go back and forth between like oh yeah like I'm okay and stuff like that and then you in the good days, but then you go back to having some of the bad days and everything. And you're just like, oh my gosh, today is so hard. Like, I, I feel like it's like taking, like, it's feel like it's taking me and all. And I feel like I'm losing myself, you know, but then you're like, no, I'm still here. Like I, like I'm still myself, you know, you just go back and forth quite a bit throughout it. Now, my question is, during the toughest part of your treatment, uh, when you were going through all the uh, different things that you, you needed to go through, were your doctors at U, uh, at U Michigan giving you, you and uh, your parents confidence that what was going on, uh, first of all, was, was normal treatment? And, that, and did they feel that things were going to progress 
to the to uh, the point that they have uh, that they have progressed and that they were going to beat this thing uh, and and uh, and you were going to beat this thing. They said that they were pretty confident and everything. They said that, uh, like, also like my positivity. That also was a huge thing. They're like, as long as you keep that, like, it's going to be okay and everything. And like, they were just really. My whole team was great. My doctors were great and everything. Like. Yeah, they definitely treat their people really good, or at least they treated me really good. So, I'm sure that they treat everyone good, and it's of course uh, of most importance that that they they treated you as well as they did. Now, good news began to uh, happen for you in January of 2022 when your treatment was completed, and then your port was removed on, I believe, January 22nd. How are you feeling physically and emotionally at that time? And what were the doctors saying to you about your progress and what the next steps were going to be for you? Um, so what was it? My last, so I went through 14 cycles of chemotherapy and everything in two day. And then I had a week off and then five day. And when I finished it, um, I got like a bunch of posters that had all my nurses writings on them though. But my last treatment, I was diagnosed with COVID. So I had to stay even longer in the hospital and I wasn't even able to ring the bell until um, like after I got my port out. Yeah. February. And which that was, that sucked because I was just like, Oh, I can't wait to ring that bell. Every time I was in infusion, I'd see it over in the corner. I'd be like, I can't wait to ring that bell. I can't wait until a few more weeks, you know? And, um, it uh no it was really nice to be done with it though but right away like it doesn't like hit you completely like that you're fully done like you feel good like i was crying and everything though but even like days after weeks after it still doesn't feel real like it feels like you're dreaming and everything like it just like like it hasn't even hit you yet at all and like there's still even like some things that like I still think about from when I was in treatment and all that. And it's just like, I can't believe like that could have totally went like the other way and stuff, but it didn't. And like, I'm glad I'm here. Like, Well, of course you're glad everybody, by the way, is glad that you're here. So I just want to let you know about that. Now, how long after uh, you were um, released from the hospital, the treatment was finished were you able to resume some sort of a normal life, which uh, would, uh, I would guess, uh, return to school? Um, it definitely took a while. Um, like, there, uh, back and forth, it went with, like, feeling normal and all, but then, like, something would happen or somebody would say something or uh, just a reminder of something that made you feel like, oh, my gosh, like, not so normal, like, before. And, like... After being told, like, you have cancer and everything, you never, like, nothing's normal anymore. Not that it was really before, you know, but it was just, like, you have to find your new normal. And so that took a little while, especially uh, my junior year, going back to school and everything, because there was people that I went to school with before that I was really close with. And when they saw me, they didn't even recognize me because of my short pixie cut and everything. And... um they, right? Uh, they saw me without hair, or they shot. They saw me with uh, my short pixie cut and stuff. And then I had a lot of people that they're like, "Oh my gosh, Eli, I'm surprised you're back." Even the people that spread the rumors and stuff, they were surprised I even came back too. And um, 
One thing that really made me feel normal as well was uh, I went to Montana for a teen cancer camp and I was called Can't Make a Dream. And that was one place that I absolutely felt I belonged and everything because I met all these great, wonderful teenagers and people and counselors. I even went through like chemotherapy and like we just talked about stories and just like like our treatment and everything. We cried together. We laughed together. Like it was just such a great place to bond and like meet new people. And I've went every year since uh, then and stuff. And I've met new people every year with different stories and everybody's just great and so positive. Well, it's as you said, you know, everything changed so much for you. Uh, when you heard the word cancer. And one of the things that changed is the, as you just discussed, with these new friendships with teenagers that only you can relate to. And they can only relate to each other and to you because no one you know, truly knows the experience of going through what, what you all had to go through. And are these friendships that um, have lasted uh, pretty much since um, you started going to the camp, if, if other uh, campus returned. And um, my guess is they must mean a lot to you. They do. Like, uh, yeah, no, I still keep in touch with them. We always text each other like every other week or every few weeks and stuff. And we'll just be like, oh, I can't wait until summer. I can't wait until I get to see you at camp and we can make friendship bracelets and all of this, all these different activities, going to the art barn, hike up the view. Like it's, it's it's really awesome there and like the scenery is beautiful and you're just uh it's in montana and like somewhere um, outside of missoula and just it's up this huge hill that you have to like take a bus to get there it takes like an hour from the missoula airport but um it's in the middle of nowhere and we're not even allowed to have our phones with us so all we have to like you know talk and connect and like not have social media with us and it's just a great place to actually like bond with other people and not have social media be a factor and like kind of interrupt that interaction. Cause even like teenagers now, like other teenagers, there's not many like opportunities you have where you can like not be on your phone and everything and like just talk to new people, meet new people. It's amazing. Whenever I'm out anywhere, just looking around, <laughs> nine out of every 10 people are just immersed in their phones. So uh, believe it or not. Now I, I, I must, this must be very shocking to you looking at my, at how old I am. I grew up without a cell phone. Isn't that amazing? I don't know how I survived, but I did. So, so I want to let you know that it was possible to survive without it. And, and that, and, and that time you're spending in camp is without your phone, I'm sure is uh, uh, easy for you to do. Once you start communicating with the people that you communicate with, I, I would guess. Yeah. Now, I'm curious about your return to school. As uh, as we talked about your former friends, who certainly didn't act like friends after your diagnosis, have you been able to or have had any desire to resume any of those friendships? And if not, my guess is that you've been able to establish new friendships uh, with those that value uh, you for who you are. Right. Yeah. No. Uh, when I got back to school, like, uh, they would definitely chuckle and all make remarks as I'd walk in the hallway and everything when I got back. So 
junior year was pretty tough for me trying to get back to that new normal and all. And it was hard because it was like being um, like a new kid at a new school and everything. But every everybody knew everything about you and stuff, like every single detail about you, but you didn't really them. And um, no, I did not go back to those friendships and everything. I realized that uh, if they were my true friends, they would have stuck by my side and everything, and they wouldn't have hurt me in that way. And I've developed so many more friendships and everything and people that support me and that I honestly enjoy being around and I feel like I can be more myself around and I don't have to hide anything with them. And it's just, yeah, I've found really good people since then. <laughs> well, uh, you you deserve that. And I'm certainly very to, happy to hear that. And really shame on your former friends uh, who acted that way. It's just uh, really unfortunate. Now, have you been able to do the traveling outside of Montana uh, at attend concerts and resume the interest that you've had in modeling, which was some of your stated goals uh, as the recovery from your ordeal from, from your ordeal uh, has continued. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I. Uh, so what is it? Uh, one at a time. I'm in concerts for cancer. Um, partnered together to get me tickets to uh, Beach Life Festival in California, and I was like this three four day concert festival, and I got to see like my favorite bands or some of my favorite bands. Like Long Beach of All Stars, Stone Temple Pilots, 311, uh, Weezer, Smashing Pumpkins, like all of it was great. And uh, I also was sent to, um, not through them, but uh, I was also sent to uh, Hawaii for my make a wish and everything. And that was such a great experience as well. And I also was sent to Kentucky for a concert festival and that was bourbon and beyond. And I got to see, uh, Oh, King, I got to actually go behind the scenes and photograph her on my digital camera I had. So I have some behind the scene photographs from her on stage and, um, no, just all those. I love concerts so much. Music was such a huge part of my journey because, uh, that was like one way that I was able to escape kind of my reality a little bit and have something that I could relate to when going through it. Cause I felt like if I couldn't get my emotions out through words, I could get it out through listening to that music, you know? And so, uh, two bands that or band singer that helped me when I was going to treatment with Billie Eilish and Weezer. Those were two big bands that, uh, artists that really helped me get through that hard time. That's cool. What about modeling? Huh? Sorry. What about modeling? Oh, modeling? Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, modeling, it's, that's a really fun, uh, yeah. No, I absolutely love going into that and modeling. I finally got my headshots redone right when I was finished with treatment and my hair started growing back. And um, I've done five fashion shows yeah i've done five fashion shows so i was running my model for five of those and i've done a few commercial shoots and i that's such a great way to meet new people as well and like i don't know everybody's so great that i get to meet and everything and talk to and i don't know i'm just happy i get to have those experiences now and be able to live them and uh i also started a nonprofit organization called eli sunflowers as well and that's been a great way to also meet more people and to be able to advocate and spread awareness for pediatric cancer warriors and their families. And I'd like to talk about that uh, nonprofit. 
called Eli Sunflowers. And can you talk about what the objective of your nonprofit is? Yeah. So basically, um, the objective is to spread awareness for pediatric cancer warriors, especially teens and their families. Um, teens are very overlooked on the hospital floors, uh, in hospitals, even at U of M. Um, like the teens, not that the kids don't know they're sick and everything, but they don't know how sick they are. While teens know how sick they are and they know all these different experiences that they're missing out on, especially with social media. Social media is a huge thing. And while you're stuck in the hospital, all you're really doing is watching TV, sleeping, eating when you can, if you can, and going on social media and you see all these people on their winter break or spring break going to Florida or Hawaii or something like that. And you're just stuck in the hospital room getting treatment all and that's something that you never even asked for and never would have wanted at all and it's just really heartbreaking and uh so i created eli sunflowers nonprofit, and i make teen kits that go to the cancer floors for the teens and as a kind of like a pick-me-up and to uh let them know that they're not alone in their fight and that to like stay positive or try to, and that like no matter what, even on the hard days, you will get through it and uh, just to stay positive. Because sometimes that's all you can really do is try to look in the best in things, even if it's the worst um, situation. Well, just a couple of things on that. First of all, you're to be congratulated for starting this nonprofit to help these kids and, and teenagers uh, mostly uh, with, as you, uh, what I consider to be the worst possible case scenario for any teenager or any child, which is to have some sort of pediatric cancer battle and to give back really at such a young age uh, is, you know, uh, really something uh, to be proud of. Now, what goes in these teen kits? that uh, you distribute yeah so uh the teen kit includes things that i i thought were helpful to me when i was going through treatment and even some of my other friends have that have went through um chemotherapy and radiation they have also uh gave me some ideas for the kits as well so there's earbuds there's uh nausea inhalers uh lotion chapstick uh tissues uh starbucks gift cards <laughs> Um, like just like, uh, uplifting and stickers in there, um, a tech deck because they're always fun. And, um, I also put a nose plug in there and that's probably one of the most expensive, uh, items. So terrible. And, uh, I also put C bands in there, which are like these, uh, kind of like sweat bands, but they have this uh, hard plastic ball that, um, goes right into your wrist and everything that kind of like pinpoints the helps with the anti-nausea it like pinpoints like the trigger or something like that yeah i'm horrible at explaining the c-band sorry <laughs> now do you put together these team kits by yourself or do you have help and how how much time during the week uh do you spend on this nonprofit? 
Um, so uh, I have my parents help me <laughs> try to get these kids around. Uh, we usually do uh, trips to the hospital, uh, around like 50 kids to the hospital usually. And at U of M, I usually drop them off during my scans or just whenever we head up there. And um, what is it? Recently, we had uh, my school's fishing team help uh, put together the kits. And also from when I went down for my scans, I'd have at least 50 kits put together for it. But that is great. Now, what's the reaction uh, when a pediatric cancer patient, teen cancer patient gets these kits and uh, how happy are they to see them? Fifteen-year-old girl. She's so sweet, and it was her first time being mid- admitted into the hospital. And it was around Thanksgiving, Christmas time. And I went in, and I brought her um, one of the kits. And I also, around Christmas time, I made these little Christmas tree boxes and everything. So I bought many Christmas trees, and I put little decorations on the inside. So if you're stuck in the hospital the kids and teens that were stuck in the hospital during Christmas, they could still have Santa to come visit them while in the hospital. So Santa would come to them. And uh, when she got uh, the tree, she was just like, she was, a, she was very excited. She saw the items and everything. She started looking at it. I even made some of the ornaments. I made the ornaments that to go on the tree that were like little button ornaments. And she really liked those. She thought those were cool. And the, her mom said when she opened the, teen kit and started looking through it more she saw the starbucks gift card and she got so ecstatic she loves starbucks <laughs> and everything but she saw a lot of items like the ear uh earbuds and um like lotion and chapstick that she really was thankful for and stuff and and everything and i got to kind of talk about it with her and it and stuff about like the nausea bands, like the C bands. And I also had nausea candy in there because chemotherapy does make you nauseous. And I talked about the nose plugs, just like those little things that helps me. And not that she would maybe need the nose plugs, but she might, you never know. Well, I, I'm guessing that the reaction that she had uh, has been um, one that many of the other kids uh, who had the uh, pleasure of meeting you or, or at least getting the, uh, the kits, um, uh, would have the same reaction be very, very happy to, to have them. Now you're a high school senior. What are your plans after graduation? And have you had any thoughts yet career wise, considering the detour that your life took about possibly choosing a career that is in some way way um, related to the medical profession and uh, and and possibly cancer. Yeah. So um, after high school, my plan is to do fifth year, and which is kind of like an extra year of high school that my school does. And so I'll be going not extra year of high school, but I'll be going to um, a community college, and I'll just be doing co- college classes for a year to earn my associate's degree in general studies. And after that, I'm not totally sure. I thought about going into, I love the arts, like visual arts. So I thought about like film and like production and stuff. And maybe like, I've always thought about creating like one day, like something like about like my journey potentially and like kind of being able to share that with the world in some way. And I would love to keep continuing with the modeling and the 
stuff because it uh, helps me gain such a uh, more of a platform for me able to spread more awareness about pediatric cancer and their families. Well, I think that that's important. My, my, my guess is, first of all, your future is unlimited. I mean, there are so many avenues that you could take and uh, not only that you'll take, you you could take, but you'll be successful at. So whatever uh, area you choose will be one that will be um, happy to have you as far as a uh, career choice is concerned, without a doubt. Now, can you recite maybe one or two important lessons that you have learned or maybe the most important lessons you've learned since May 12th of 2021? Um, one that I would always say to myself, it's okay not to be okay. Um, another one was one that my mom would always say to me, uh, you really find out who your true friends are when something like this happens. And that's really stuck with me even now. And, uh, there was another one too, that, um, I always liked this one and everything. And like, so did, um, for my babysat or I have babysat uh I would start crying and everything or like somebody else would start crying I say it's okay to cry the clouds do it all the time well that's interesting I hadn't I hadn't uh thought of it in that way but it's certainly true uh without a doubt and it it is definitely acceptable uh to cry uh because that's (laughs) you know you're dealing with something that's just uh uh, I always use the word unfathomable, and, and that's what uh, you and, and so many of these other uh, kids and teenagers have dealt with. Now, I'm going to read you two quotes to you that have a great deal of meaning. The first one was from a marketing professional by the name of Ricky Rogers, and here's the quote. Strength doesn't come from what you can do. It is overcoming things you thought you couldn't. That has a lot of meaning, I would think. It does. I I think I have that on my little. I think I have that on my little cards for my uh, for my thank you cards for people who have don who donated to my uh, like treatment and like just like my GoFundMe page and everything. I have that exact same quote on there. <laughs> that definitely has a great meaning to it, and that was also another quote that's helped me definitely through it. Well, this quote, uh, I'm, I'm guessing that I'm going to read now, also helped you. Uh, it's from an author named J.R. Rim, and it goes as follows. Sunflowers end up facing the sun, but they go through a lot of dirt to find their way there. I mean, that is almost a perfect metaphor for what you uh, had to face. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love sunflowers. I've loved them since I was a kid. And uh that was one thing that we found out after I was diagnosed was that the sarcoma flower was a sunflower. And so I kind of thought that was kind of ironic a little bit. And uh, no, when I saw that quote, that also helped me figure out the name for sure of Eli's sunflowers was that quote. Exactly. That quote. I absolutely love it. It's just so powerful and like such a beautiful type of way. I, I love it. Are you hoping to keep uh, Eli's sunflowers going and perhaps expand it in some way? Yes. Yes, I definitely hope so. And I definitely will keep it going for sure. 
where can people get in touch with you to uh, just hear more about you, to hear more about Eli Sunflowers and what you've been through? Because it's an extraordinary story. And it's been uh, two years. I mean, that's not a long time. And looking at you, you would never know you were sick. Uh, your hair, by the way, looks great, in case anybody's wondering. I, I, you, 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 you were worried about it for a while, but believe me, it looks, it, it looks great. So I think you give us some information on, on where would be a good way to reach you. Yeah, so um, I have a Facebook page. It's called Eli Sunflowers. And in that Facebook page, I also have a website that um, basically talks about how you can donate and all that talks about my journey and uh, just ways that you can kind of give back. Well, as we come to the end of this podcast, uh, I want to, first of all, congratulate you at, at what you've accomplished. Um, you know, at, at your age, you've accomplished more than most people do in a lifetime. First of all, by overcoming what you had to overcome um, in your Ewing sarcoma battle and understanding the fact that it's just so important to try and give back to others who, uh, you know, unfortunately are going to be having, if not necessarily the same type of cancer you do, but, uh, you know, there are 15,000 kids each year that get diagnosed and, and to have uh, a pediatric or uh, cancer or adolescent cancer survivor out there uh, doing well and um, uh, giving to others is just such an important message. And, and that's something that, my guess is you're going to continue with, you just said you're going to continue with the nonprofit and uh, you, you'll be involved to help these kids for a long time. And I wish, want to wish you the best of health and the best of happiness as time goes on. Thank you so much. <laughs> it is always great to hear a story of a pediatric cancer patient who has been able to recover from his or her treatment and to go on and lead the good and productive life that they are able to. And it certainly seems as if Eli is well on her way to achieving this goal. This is Mark Levine, and please tune in on Monday when I will speak with Shauna Falvey, who will talk about her daughter Mia, who has been battling medulloblastoma since her diagnosis in June of 2022.